We want to continue this morning in our, our series called Counter Culture. And if you'll remember, the point of this is we live in a culture, we live in a society that has values. Every culture, every society has values. And then even within a smaller segment of that larger culture, uh, there are also values that you have. Think about this. We live in the United States, and there are some values and a culture that we in the United States pretty much share. And yet, we live in a certain part of the United States. We live in the southern part of the United States. And there are some values that we have here, uh, some things that we do here that they don't do in other parts of the country. And it goes beyond just sweet tea. Um, I, I've, I've talked to a number of people who, who just say, you know, people will talk to you here. They open doors. They'll say thank you and please and those things. And that's good. Yes, sir. No, sir. Which even that is, is kind of dwindling. But there's some things just kind of unique about the South. And then you get to Georgia and there are things that are just unique to us. And you get into your own family and your own community. There's some things that are unique to you. In other words, we all have this, this culture, this society. And I, I, don't wanna, I don't want it to be monolithic in our thinking. But when we take a look at trends within our society, we see that things aren't always heading the direction that Jesus would go. And that's what we're talking about when we say counterculture. And that is, as believers in Jesus Christ, as people who take the call to follow Jesus seriously, what does that look like? And does that run us counter to the culture like swimming upstream? Does it run us counter to the culture? And if so, how do we respond to that? Well, today, you know, we've talked about running counter to the culture and living with integrity. We've talked about living with courage. We've talked about living with gratitude. Uh, today, today, a really challenging message for me, and that is living with humility. If you go through the Bible, and, and I challenge you to do this, the Bible has a lot to say about pride, but it has nothing good to say about it. You can go check it out for yourself. But that leaves some of us scratching our heads because we go, wait, wait, wait a minute. The Bible says that we're not to be proud, and yet, should I not be proud of a job well done? When I finish my work week, when I finish this project, when I finish my garden, when I finish mowing my yard or raking my leaves, should I not be able to step back and have an appreciation of something that was accomplished, something that was done? My child, working very hard, makes the honor roll. Should I not be proud of my child for that accomplishment? You know, I'm an American. Should I not be proud to have served my country in the military? Well, as we think about this, I got to tell you, I've been struggling with this a little bit. But part of it comes down to the actual word pride and how we interpret that in English And how it's also interpreted in scripture. Because for us, pride can have a a dual meaning. In other words, there's a, a healthy kind of pride in our use of the word. And that is that appreciation for a job well done. That appreciation for being a part of something that's good. All those things, that's a good, healthy kind of pride. But the Bible teaches us that there's also a sinful kind of pride. And this is what I've discovered. There's a very thin line between the two. And it is so easy to step over from that healthy kind of pride, that appreciation for a job well done, for something that has been accomplished, to step over that line 
to what is a sinful kind of pride. And we tend to drift over that line very, very easily. When we speak of pride, when the Bible speaks of pride, it means, it means to elevate or to exalt self. Uh, and that can be elevating and exalting self over other people. It can even be elevating and exalting self over God, his will and his ways. But that's basically what the word means, to elevate or to exalt self. In other words, when we read about this sinful pride in the Bible, the word that would probably most capture it for us is arrogance. Now, we can, we can tolerate somebody, a proud person. But when we talk about somebody being arrogant, boy, that's somebody that's almost hard to, hard to get along with. But that's the kind of pride that we're talking about, the sinful kind of pride. You, you can equate it with arrogance. And that basically it says, I'm bigger and better. I view myself as bigger and better. It is a distorted view of reality that's always in the favor of me. That I am larger. It, it, and pride, it's really easy to see in somebody else. But it can be really hard to see in ourselves. And so I, in thinking about this, let me give you just kind of an example here. And I'm not trying to be flippant because I think this, I think this is good for us. And, and I hope that you will wrestle with this concept of pride and humility and where that line is in your life. You need to wrestle with this. So let's say that you have a child. That child or maybe a grandchild has worked very, very, very hard in school. Has never made honor roll before. But was determined, determined that they were going to be on honor roll this year. And so they spent the time, the effort, you spent the time and the effort, you did everything you could to help this child to be able to achieve. And at the end of the year, she's able to walk across that stage and be recognized by her school as having achieved the honor roll. Now, is it right to be proud of your child? I would say yes. There's a, there's a healthy pride in the accomplishment of your child. Nothing wrong with that. Now let's take it a step further. When it's all over with, not only has she received that certificate saying that she is on the honor roll, but you have received a bumper sticker. And that bumper sticker says that my child is an honor student at such and such school. Now you have a bumper sticker. If you were to take that bumper sticker, march around to the back of your car and place that bumper sticker on the back of your car, have you crossed over from healthy pride to sinful pride? Maybe yes. Maybe no. What do I mean? Listen, your child's worked awfully hard. And if the reason you put that bumper sticker on the back of your car is so that every time your child sees that, they understand that you really, really are really, really proud of them, what they did, their accomplishment, that this is an encouraged source of encouragement to them. Then I would say, hey, listen, that sounds perfectly fine. But if the reason you put that bumper sticker on the back of your car is so everybody in Green County will know that your child is an honor student, well, maybe that's not such a pure motivation. Now, let's take it a step farther because this is kind of funny because uh, our kids were honor students and they did, they did well. 
Um, but we never put a bumper sticker on our car. Now, is that humility or is that pride? Think about it. It could be humility in that, you know, it, it's okay. Hey, listen, they did a good job. We can, we can keep this internal. We don't have to make this external. We don't have to show it to the world. Or it could be, <laughs> listen, can I be honest with you? I've actually thought like this. You pull up beside this, behind this minivan, stoplight, and there they've got my child's an honor student in such a school, and you think, I'd never do that. I've never put a bumper sticker like that on my car. Do you see how much of a struggle this is? The, the line between this healthy kind of pride, that is a, a satisfaction in a, a job well done, an accomplishment, And stepping over to the point where I think that I am now better than anyone else. And listen, if you want a simple definition of the kind of pride we're talking about here, it's pride is any time we think we're better than someone else. Pride is any time that we think that we're better than someone else. Robert Rayburn put it well when he said, pride is the idolatry of self. And this arrogance, it really doesn't have to be something we flash around on a bumper sticker. As a matter of fact, most of the time, this kind of pride is an internal thing. It lives on the inside of us and it rears its head. When we see someone who has made some mistakes in life, and they are now living with the consequences of their mistakes, most of the time, because we have this filter Most of the time, we don't walk up to them and go, hey, I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, because we know that that is socially unacceptable here in the South. But what's going on in our hearts? Are we thinking, gosh, I'd never do that. I can't believe they made that decision. What were they thinking? I would never get in that kind of a situation. You see, it's this little thing that lives in us. But it doesn't stay little. The more we tolerate it, the bigger it gets. So that maybe externally we've got this humble attitude, but internally we are eaten up with pride, arrogance. I'm better. I'm better than them. That reminds me of a story that Jesus told. Let me share it with you. He said that there were these two men who were going to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, that is a guy who on the outside looked like he had it together, and the other was a despised tax collector. Jesus didn't actually have to throw that part in the story. People would have already said, okay, yep, this is despised. But he wanted to make sure that this was not the exception to the rule, that he was one of the despised tax collectors. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed in this, this way. He said, I thank you, God. And they started out well. I thank you, God, is is a great way to start out praying. I thank you, God, but then this is where he goes wrong, that I am not a sinner like everybody else. For I don't cheat, and I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery, 
And I, I, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, he, he stood at a distance, back in a far corner, and he dared not even lift his eyes up to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat on his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus concludes, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, folks, it's fine to thank God for the blessings in your life, and you, we should. And, and it's okay to be grateful that God spared you from some of the mistakes that other people made. I am grateful every day because there were many opportunities that I could have gone this way or this way or this way that, that I'm spared from the consequences of having made those decisions. But when you or I look at others and we see ourselves as superior to them, we have stepped over the line. We are now standing with the Pharisee, maybe not saying it out loud, but we're saying to ourselves, God, I thank you that I'm not like that young mother who got pregnant out of wedlock. I thank you that I'm not like that guy who now has a prison record. I thank you, God, that I'm not like those people who are sitting in jail this morning. I thank you, God, that I'm not like those people who are still at home in bed on a Sunday morning. It's a really, really thin line. Far too often we walk way too close to it. Jesus' warning should be like a a siren that continues to go off, reminding us of the truth. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who choose to humble themselves will be exalted. God's word warns us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, listen, if you keep puffing yourself up, don't be surprised if that bubble pops. If you keep climbing higher and higher in your own eyes, don't be, don't be surprised if it all comes tumbling down. If you're going to exalt yourself, then eventually you're going to be humbled. But if you're willing to humble yourself and trust God, then he'll exalt you. Humility is not only the opposite of pride, but humility is the antidote to pride. It's the anti-venom. But humility does not come naturally to us. Even the most shy and reserved and introspective of us. Humility does not come naturally to us in a culture of self-promotion and self-satisfaction and self-advancement. Jesus calls us to go counter to that culture. To make a different choice. And remember, I told you when we talked about these other things that integrity is a choice. Courage is a choice. Gratitude is a 
choice. So what do you think about humility? It's choice. We choose humility. It's a choice that we have to make that is indeed counter to the culture. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to show you our example of humility. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. We're not going to spend a lot of time in these, but I want you to see these because I think it helps us to understand if, if humility is the antidote, if it's the anti-venom when it comes to pride, then this helps us begin to get the right perspective to begin to live and to walk in humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let, let's start here. It says, therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, here's what Paul's saying. Let me narrow this down. Paul's saying, listen, if you've gotten anything at all out of your faith in Christ, and if you've got any, if you've had any benefit, any blessing from inclusion in the body of Christ, then out of love for Jesus and out of love for one another, value and foster unity in the church. And the enemy of unity in the church is pride. That's the enemy. In the church, it's the cause of gossip, it's the cause of backbiting, it's the cause of divisions, it's pride. Pride separates us. Pride causes us to categorize people, us and them. Pride causes us to rank people. And most often, the yardstick for measuring other people is me. I'm the, I'm the yardstick. I am the one that gets to measure, or you. You've got your own measuring stick, and it's your life. Remember, the story, the Pharisee is praying. He goes, listen, here's some things I don't do, God, and here's some things I do. What was that? That was his measuring stick. What he's saying is, listen, I've got this idea of what it means to follow you, God, to be faithful to you, and to be true and loyal to you. God, I've got this idea, my own And it involves not doing these things and doing these things. And so I feel like I'm all right with you because I don't do these things and I do these things. But that guy over there, he doesn't live according to my yardstick. He lives a completely different way. He doesn't measure up to me. And that's where we start having problems in the church. We look at other people and they go, they just don't measure up to me. They're not as good as I am. They don't give as much as I do. They don't serve as much as I do. Or maybe we look at them from the other perspective. Maybe we're not the ones that are doing very much or giving very much or participating very much. And we look at them and then we want to be critical of them because, oh, you know, they're just showing off. They just like the power. They just want the position. They just want to control things. It doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on. You're going to use yourself as a yardstick to measure others, to rank others, to categorize other people. And so Paul gives us some instructions, some help on how it is that we can combat this. 
And the first application, here's application number one. Apply this. Followers of Jesus must remove themselves from the center of their lives. Again, this is a choice. You must remove yourself from the center of your life. Now let's think about what he said. You want to talk about counterculture? Look at what he said. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition. In other words, got to move myself out of the middle. Do nothing out of personal vanity. It's never about, hey, look at me. Putting other people's needs ahead of your own. Now listen, I got to tell you, if you can do those three things, you will get yourself out of the center of your life. There is no way that you can say, listen, don't turn the spotlight on me. This is not about me. I'm putting other people's needs ahead of my needs. There's no way you can do that and stay in the center of your life. None. It knocks you out of the center. And I'm telling you, everything in this culture, everything in our society, everything in our country shoves us to the middle. It's all about me, all about what I want, all about what I need. When I was sitting down and working through this, the scene that came to me was from that classic movie, Finding Nemo. Some of you have seen it. Some of you will admit it. Finding Nemo, it's a cartoon. Well, I guess it's a little more than a cartoon nowadays, but it's not like you know, the old Mickey Mouse, you know, Tom and Jerry stuff. But it's, it's a cartoon, a very well done cartoon. But in, that, in there, there's a scene where this stork throws this little crab over amongst the seagulls. Do you remember that? And then the seagulls catch sight of the crab. And then they start this, mine, 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 mine. They sound just like seagulls, but they're just saying mine. It's kind of like Black Friday. (laughs) But it's also kind of like us. Because to be honest, Black Friday is a lot closer to our society than these words of Paul, not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Our society doesn't breed this kind of mentality. This this is foreign to us. I'm trying to get into that space before anybody else can pull in it. I'm looking, for the sh- I'm looking for the shortest line. I have never gone to a store and said, gosh, which is the longest line so I can just kind of get out of everybody else's way? Now, occasionally, and I'm not bragging, but occasionally someone will come up with less items than mine, and I'll go ahead and just have him go through ahead of me. But that's most of the times like, listen, I got to get in. I got to get out. You're in my way. And then we run into something like this. The problem is we not only do this out here at Walmart And in the Ingalls parking lot, we also do it in the family of God. We do. We see it all the time. We put our needs ahead of everybody else's. Because, quite frankly, I'm the most important person in the room. I'm the measuring stick. I'm the target here. And therefore, it's about me and mine. Unless you follow Jesus. Because if you follow Jesus, then you've got a different calling. And that calling is 
hey, what about their needs? What about their needs? What about their needs? What about their needs? Would you consider today putting your yardstick away and focusing on what they need more than on what you want? Let's move on. Verse 5. Because it goes on and it gets better. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That'll be important. Hold on to that. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here Paul is helping us to understand how we shift our attention from ourselves as the center of our world, as the center of our thinking, the center of our universe. How do we move out of that? To move from self-interest to putting the needs of others ahead of our own, we need the mind of Christ. Have this same mindset in you that Jesus had. In other words, we need to model our attitude and our actions out of, uh, from Jesus. He needs to be our model. So let's, let's consider what was said here. First of all, it says, listen, Jesus is God. Now, can I tell you something? If you're ranking, that's as high as you get. You don't get any higher than God. So Jesus is God. So that's where we start. Jesus is God. He created everything. Thus, we owe our very existence to him. In fact, in him, all things hold together. He not only created us, he's holding it all together. But he didn't use his power and position to play big shot. That's not what we see in the life of Jesus. He did exactly the opposite. It says here, he made himself nothing. Your translation may say he emptied himself In other words, he laid aside his privileges to become like us, to become one of us, God in the flesh, and to do more, to serve, and to do more, to die, and to do more, to die on a cross the most humiliating way possible. So that you and I might have inclusion in his life. Paul is calling us today, think that way. Think about the Jesus you follow, who was God and yet he emptied himself. He left, he could have, he deserved to be served, but he came to serve. That's the way you got to think. Yes, you may have made better decisions 
then this person, this person, this person, and this person. You may live a better lifestyle than that person, that person, that person, and that person. But the yardstick is not you or them. The yardstick is him. And if he was not beneath serving, or if he was not above serving, why do you feel like serving is beneath you? It's who we are called to be if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which leads us to the second application, which is this. Followers of Jesus must begin to think like Jesus if they're going to begin to act like Jesus. We have to have the same mindset that Jesus had. If you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus wasn't concerned about his brand. That's kind of the modern terminology. Got to be concerned about your brand, how you appear, how you look. Jesus, he, he wasn't out to make a name for himself at all. And that kind of got his disciples a little bit upset because they were really wanting him to be a little bit more of a self-promoter, to get himself out front, to make a, a big splash. But you see, Jesus had already had an opportunity to make a big splash. Right after his baptism, he went out in the wilderness. And he was tempted there in the wilderness. And what was he tempted with? He was tempted to make a big splash. Hey, listen, if you will go right now and we'll go together and you stand on the top of the temple and you jump off and you have all these angels come and catch you, man, that'll make the headlines of the Jerusalem Post. That'll be it. Jesus, I didn't come for that. It's not why I'm here. I didn't come to make the headlines. He told us why he came. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus chose humility. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He did not demand that people treat me, treat him better. He never said, do you not know, don't you know who I am? I, I have the, I'm not bragging about this because that would be totally against the sermon, but I've never gotten a traffic ticket. That does not mean I haven't been pulled. I was pulled once as an adult and twice as a 16 year old. Now, when I was a 16 year old, my father was the chief of police. I remember the first time I was pulled. I was on my way to the homecoming dance. We'd had the ball game. I'd showered, got ready, going to the homecoming dance. I was in a hurry. Too much of a hurry. And so I see the blue lights and I pull over. I roll down the window. Sergeant Barnhill walks up to the window, looks in, and he goes, oh, it's you. Slow down. And that was it. Now, what happened there? The OHU was, your daddy's my boss. I'm not going to give you a ticket. Now, I didn't have to say anything, but the second time I got pulled, I was on my way back from Greenville, which was kind of our Athens. You had to go to, if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to go to Greenville. I was on my way back from Greenville, North Carolina, driving home. And I, I was exceeding the speed limit. I wouldn't encourage that from any of you, I, but I was exceeding the speed limit. And I was, I was pulled over uh, by a highway patrolman who did not work for my daddy. 
This time I had to get out of the car and go sit in his car while he did all the license check and all that fun stuff. And it was at that point I said, uh, you know, my dad is chief of police in Robertsonville. It didn't seem to phase him at all. He kept on writing. And eventually he handed me a piece of paper that was a warning. And so I got off (laughs) with just a warning. But I did check and make sure. Now, my dad won't be able to find out about this, will he? But you see, what I did was I used what little power I had, what little position I had. I used that for an advantage that other people might not get. And what we read about Jesus is he never did that. He never did that. He didn't sit at the table at the Last Supper and say, listen, when one of you guys get up and wash my feet, don't you know who I am? Instead, he got up. And he wrapped a towel around him. And he took a basin of water. And he went to the feet of these men. A betrayer. A denier. And the rest were going to evacuate the premises pretty soon. As soon as the going got up. And he washed their feet. Was Jesus better than those 12? Yes. We've already established he was better. But he emptied himself. And he knelt and he washed the feet of common, ordinary men. And you and I are called to have the same mindset. To think the same way. To make a different choice. To choose, as Jesus did, humility. And that's our third application this morning and our final one. Followers of Jesus must choose the way of humility, desiring the approval of God rather than the applause of people. We underestimate the dangers of pride, but we also underestimate the value of humility. Our call is to humble ourselves and to trust God. Let me remind you, this is what this is what scripture reminds us. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Your choice. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. You may never have a reputation. You may never have a headline. You may never have 15 minutes of fame. But it's not trying to get people to applaud you and to pat you on the back. It's about hearing the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Let's pray. Lord God, we really can't we really can't begin a prayer after hearing this without coming and confessing to you.
But there's pride that springs up and grows in us. An arrogance. Feeling better than someone else. Morally superior to people around us. Morally superior to the folks who who are stuck in jail. The folks who come to celebrate recovery. The people that we see walking the street with a backpack. We feel somehow we are, we're better than they are, higher than they are, that, that somehow we deserve something more than they get. And, and Lord, we'd never say it out loud because that just doesn't sound right. But we want to come and talk to you about our hearts right now. Lord, we need a new heart. And those seeds and weeds of pride that are planted, we need those plucked out, God. And we want, we want to be part of the plucking. This morning, Lord, we choose humility. We choose to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We know that the way up is to actually go down. The way to be exalted is to trust you to do that, and we humble ourselves. But Lord, that's so hard to do. Everything around us, everything we're told says we've got to promote ourselves. We've got to make a name for ourselves. I pray today, Lord, that for me and for us, that we would be more concerned about the name of Jesus than the name on our birth certificate. Lord, show us where pride has taken root so that it can be plucked out and show us the way of humility. Let us hear your voice as you call us to follow you along that way. Lord, if there are those who need to come and simply pray to unyield, to, to, un, to unweight themselves of this, this burden of, of sin, Lord, let this morning be their morning to find cleansing from you. Your word says that if anyone confesses their sins, that you, God, are faithful and just to forgive the sin and to purify, purify, clean us up from all unrighteousness. God, there are those this morning who need that, to walk away from here clean and pure in your sight. Lord, we pray for those who need your son, Jesus. If you've been working on them this week and calling them to receive him as Savior, then Lord, let this moment be their moment of decision as they take a stand for you, not letting pride or anything else hold them back. Lord, if there are those who need a place to belong, a church home, and Lord, you're calling to be a part of Grace Fellowship. And let this be their day, their moment, their time to take that stand. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming as a servant, for dying as a servant, for giving your life as a servant, for being raised up as Savior and King. Lord, we worship you. We love you this morning. And we're ready to respond to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.